Welcome to The Symbol Podcast, Episode 1. My name's Dave Collingwood, and my guest today is Rich Cass, a freelance drummer based in Edinburgh, currently recording and touring with Trio HLK and Dame Evelyn Glennie, as well as working on his solo project, Drum Interpretations. He was once described by Steve White as a polyrhythmic monster, and a quick look at his YouTube channel will tell you why. Let's get straight into it. So, hi to Rich Cass. Thanks for being on. It's really great to talk to you. We've, we follow each other on social media um, and I've seen a lot of what you're up to. You've commented often on what I'm up to. How, are you, how do you kind of deal with doing what you do? You seem to be really busy, like rehearsing and touring and stuff. And then you've got to, you do your YouTube channel and all this stuff. How do you kind of divide your time if there is a method to it? Ooh, um, I think actually with, with that, I just try and do what I can when I can. So um, the social media stuff, uh, I I think is you know is probably a bit of a, a necessary evil. Although I actually have made some amazing connections and met some cool people through it, so it's definitely not um, a complete waste of time or just a vanity project. In terms of you know I've I've hooked up with musicians and traded ideas and all kinds of things. So it actually you know yeah. like, there's a really positive side to it, but I, I think I uh, I also see see some of the negatives of it in terms of it being a time drain and you know i think it's probably better to try and be more absorbed with with real people than than photos of of other people and videos and And their cats yeah (laughs) but uh so i guess in in regards to time yeah um with with the youtube stuff and, and all that kind of jazz if there's ever the opportunity to capture things on a gig or um, with this little project that I've been doing called Drum Interpretations, whenever I have some downtime, I, I just try and, and you know put a video together and make some stuff. And then again, when I've got the time to put it out, to put it out, um, and I see that that kind of stuff is sort of just being, you know, kind of fun, keeps me um, engaged and exploring some ideas and things. Um, yeah, right. And then, you know, sometimes when we're touring, there is either days off or downtime where I can just do bits of that. Um, But often, especially with the stuff with the trio and and Evelyn, the the setup takes like almost the whole day. Um, So by the time you get to wherever you're going and then set up and then get ready to play, there's kind of time for dinner and then it's showtime. So I don't normally have that much downtime on those days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, I guess that, that's the nature of of freelancers. You know, whenever you do have some some time off, you've got to try and make the most of it. Um, yeah, that's true. I like that's kind of something I struggle with running my own business is having free time. You know, having downtime. In a way, there's there's kind of no such thing because you're always it's always on your mind. Like, I don't know if you find that, but, but like you say, the times where you're not working or, or creating or whatever you're doing, you're thinking, right, maybe I should be doing an Instagram post or, or, you know, just kind of staying connected. Yes. It never ends. Does it? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Even just like a backlog of emails or, yeah. um, yeah, like you say, even the social media stuff takes a lot more time than you think it's going to take. Mm. You're like, oh, I should put this on various platforms, and then you think I should probably make it read well or whatever, and uh, exactly. suddenly you've lost forty five minutes to something <laughs> which is uh, 
which he thought was just chucking a, a quick clip up or whatever, you know. So yeah, and yeah. like you were like you were saying, it's it's nice to keep it natural, and with you, I think that comes across, and with you know, obviously, lots of other people. I think like with social media and that, you can see where that's the primary focus. You know, it's it's kind of style over substance sometimes for a lot of people and that's what I kind of struggle with some days personally I think this is great I'm on top of this I'll post this and then other days I think why yeah yeah and I guess everybody always says you know in in this day and age it's it's really important to um to be doing social media and um I think that there are like there are some and genuine reasons for that. More and more people interact uh, with things in that way. And there's, from what I understand, there's a school of thought to say that within the music business now, um, me- music's sort of merely the medium through which you connect with people, and you kind of have to um, do all this other things to actually engage them and get them to to actually really. Um, be following what you're doing and things mm. um and i i'm not yeah, yeah. totally sure about that in terms of my own experiences um i think it probably varies depending on what kind of music you're making and yeah. what the demographics of those audiences are because i um i think perhaps like classical and jazz audiences are a bit more of a mixed bag um but um yeah, so I, I've gone on a bit of a tangent here, but I think <laughs> okay. the uh, when people people say it's very important, but um, I think my own point of view, I think the most important thing should always be the the music you're making and the sounds and yeah. and pursuing something on quite a deep level. And I think that sometimes being really on top of social media can detract from that. And yeah, I think we're probably of a generation that's sort of right in the middle of it and it probably will go further that way where um you know like could you imagine 10 years ago or something paying someone to come around and take photos of you like walking your dog and having just cleaned your car and then they would wander around everyone in a two mile radius (laughs) handing out photos and asking if they wanted to see them yeah yeah. it would be bizarre to think like that or or even to just put posters of myself playing drums at a venue around town saying like look where i played last night or mm, um so yeah. i think i think it, it's quite it's quite bizarre when you when you put it into the real world but on the other hand it seems to be the way that a lot of people are interacting and yeah that's true of- i mean yeah it's a changing world and yeah i guess that's a good point we're kind of stuck in a kind of transition I, I suppose whether that'll ever settle or it's all transition i don't know maybe that's just getting older yeah i would hope it would just uh it would always stay somewhere in the middle i think it's sometimes quite easy to get cynical and think that maybe one day everyone will just always be glued to their phones and won't do things but i think every culture breeds a counterculture and right. i think anything like live music um any kind of actual social activity be it people going to like a, a language class or a cooking class together or um, going hill walking and getting away from it, you know, like that develops things that people can't get from that and in some ways probably pushes them or pulls them positively further away from it. So I think mm. that there will always be room for both, both kind of cultures. So are these things you do? You go hill walking and cooking and <laughs> uh, language I, learning? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I do love hill walking. Um, and I try and make some time for it. I haven't done that much this year, but uh, I used to do a lot. Um, my uncle, I was a, a mountaineer instructor. He used to take trips to to Peru, to the Andes and things. And cool. My dad did quite a bit, so I try and do a bit. And my, my partner, she loves it too, so we do you know walking and cycling yeah. holidays and things nice that kind of it, uh, i'm gonna crowbar something in there um I, I saw you put something up on social media um about i think you've gone for a haircut uh, this is a, a bit of a strange link i'm just thinking like getting out into nature because again for me not to talk too long about myself but when I'm out and about being a drummer and a, you know, a creator, I kind of notice things that inspire me that I'd never think would inspire me if that makes any sense, you know? So yes, this, yeah. this whole thing, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you can tell it, you're having your hair cut and you notice the rhythm that the barber was cutting in. And it was like groups, like not polyrhythmic, um, you know, like a group of seven and a five and a seven snip, snip, snip. And again, yes. is that right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just happened to notice. Um, I yeah, I'd actually be interested to hear a lot more about what inspires you. Um, okay. Maybe maybe you don't want to talk about it on the podcast. Maybe we can talk about it after. But um, yeah, I I find that stuff very fascinating. But um, if I was to take one step further back, I've been transcribing um, the rhythm of speech for something recently, and oh, yeah. um, from that. Um, you know, it really made me sit down and think: How am I going to write this out? Um, am I going to write it as like constantly changing tempos, or am I going to write it totally metrically? So I sort of pick a tempo, and then everything is some kind of tuplet or subdivision change, mm. or am I going to sort of do a bit of both? Or anyway, um, from that, I have just been noticing uh, rhythm and tempo a lot uh, in people's speech and various things, and. It's interesting. Uh, and then when I was at the barber's, yeah, he was doing like four snips, then three snips, then two snips, then three snips as he was cutting the side of my hair and right. kind of on repeat. And every time between these sequences of four, three, two, three, he was having a little pause to move back to the bottom of my head. So it was kind of going like nine, seven, five, seven, because it was going two, 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 two three um the three is is where he has that extra semi-quiver or whatever to get back so yeah i just noticed this uniform rhythm and uh obviously getting my hair cut i was uh didn't have a lot else to to think about so <laughs> I, I started observing that and thinking that's really funny There's yeah all these kind of random rhythms happening around us in nature yeah Indi- yeah completely washing machines and indicators on cars things like that it's very interesting that's really funny you say that because uh as a kid i used to like being in the car with my folks uh stopped at traffic lights or whatever and you could see two cars in front indicating i would always always be watching the indicators go in and out of sequence in in and out of phase you know and see how long it took for them to meet up and then of course you can do it with three cars for what obviously it gets a little much and then the lights change and off you go but um yeah that kind of stuff fascinates that's quite heavy quite heavy (laughs) yeah should we end the podcast there that's plenty (laughs) that's amazing though the yeah when you think about those cycles of things coming back around um with with three or four yeah 
It's heavy. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, I wonder if people are aware of this stuff because I, I had something similar hearing someone hammering, doing some DIY in a house, God knows where, while my window was open. And they were doing kind of the same thing you say, like a rhythm of maybe five hammer hits. And that's the... That's the pattern they've got into to do the work they have to do, and it, whether they are aware of it or not, they they have a system. Yeah, and I guess if you go go back to being born, like uh, you you know you hear rhythm from before you come out of the uh, out of the womb, you hear your mother's heartbeat. Yeah, um, it's yeah, kind of you know true. we're always kite, and we 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 have a permanent like device knocking out a bpm <laughs> which changes yeah. so in some ways we're 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 all super connected to rhythm I yeah guess. rhythmic beasts yeah yeah probably the true. oldest form of communication or second oldest yeah so like you asked me what what uh what influences me and my work as well um and i'll just go into that briefly um so like because obviously i make symbols um and I've taught myself how to do it over a, a few years. And I'd just be walking along. And one thing I remember is seeing a tightrope walker um, in one of the local parks. They'd, they'd lashed up this rope and were, and were walking. And where their foot was depressing the middle of the rope, I could see the tension like either side. And I thought, and it gave me an idea for how to hammer in a certain way. And I took wow. that idea to the symbol and it worked, basically. Or, you wow. know, it worked in that I learnt how thinking that way was going to influence how I made the thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's fascinating that world of, of symbol manufacturing. Cause it's, it strikes me as someone who doesn't know an awful lot about it, but uh, that there's, you know, there's, there's the science and there's the art and every, from every company, it seems every hand hammered symbol is different. There, there has to be an element of, of working whatever, working with whatever you've got, plus yeah. probably a lot of then refining that and using the techniques to get it where you want to go. And totally, so much, so many variables, so much trial and error. How did you? Uh, what first made you think I'm gonna gonna make a symbol? Uh, I think I've read about Roberto, you know, Spitzakino. Yeah. Um, and I used to tour a lot and then have kids, so decided to stay home. And I read about these other guys doing it, and I'm quite a practical person, so I thought, hey, I'll give it a go. Um, and some days I wish I never had, because it's really, really difficult, but it's, it's a yeah. very rewarding process. It's really cool. That's amazing. I do think it's a, a brilliant thing, you d thing you're doing. It's so nice to cool. see. Thanks, man. Like, yeah, just so nice to see people make making stuff. Um, yeah. Like the the little guy crafting crafting symbols and and selling yeah. selling them and each one's like an individual work of art and has That's got a bit idea. of a, a story. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. So so I guess talking about symbols that that leads us to you and your symbols. Um, you are endorsed by Sabian or you endorse Sabian? Um, is that a relatively new thing? Has that been on the table for a long time? Uh, so I think. I've probably been a Sabian endorser for about just over a year. I think it was probably, this is March 2019. So mm. I think it was around about the start of 2018 that that happened. Um, yeah. I kind of, I, I have probably predominantly played their symbols for quite a long time. Right. And 
um, around about the time I was starting to do this touring with with the trio and Evelyn, I needed some crotales and I popped into what was my local drum shop at the time and said, um, you know, I think I need to buy the set of crotales for this music. And they said, hey, have you thought about just writing down what you're doing, popping a note and we'll pass it on to the rep because they might be able to to sort of sort something out for you. So I kind of did that and cool. then sort of lo and behold, they they offered me an endorsement, which is great. That's, um, yeah, that's and, brilliant. Yeah, so then I got to go down to the the warehouse and, and just try a load of stuff um, uh, to augment what I already have and, and sort of pick stuff. And uh, that was great. So I ended yeah. up settling on, I can't remember, I think I came home with about sort of 10, 10 symbols of, of various things. And over the past year or something, I've kind of played them in and got got really used to it i think that's quite a big thing with symbols i i had a little yeah. bit of a thought about this because i thought we might end up talking about symbols a little bit and i thought that <laughs> the biggest thing for me with a symbol is actually playing it for a little while and getting used to working with it and not having this sure, expectation yeah. of like this symbol should make this sound as in my head i actually find you find something that you're quite happy with and then you have to work it or work yeah. with it yeah right so so how long was that process of picking and choosing and trying them um well it was it was pretty quick in terms of i did a bit of research and i also sent the the artist liaison chap at the time a bunch of videos of things and said can you tell me what this symbol is and so then when i went over he picked out all the things that i'd asked and some other things and then I got them back and played them and kept most of them. And I think I sent a couple back and, and switched them out for another couple. And um, and then I've been pretty happy. Um, and I th- yeah, the core, the sort of core setup hasn't changed since actually. But it yeah. probably took me like a couple of months to get pretty pretty happy with everything or or to be for it to be a second nature as maybe before when I'd had a couple of different symbols in the setup. Um, so does, that involves the time of playing them and seeing how they work together, I assume. As well. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Um, that definitely was a part of it. It's, it's quite hard to zoom out because at the time I was just going into playing like a whole new set of music, which was, was really challenging. So like I was having some, like a lot of thoughts about how to get the right sound or how to make something sound good. And some of that would probably be how I played the symbol or, you know, trying to get a certain color or a certain texture, which symbols to play when. But I probably would have had some of that anyway because the music was new. Um, right, yeah. But definitely now I don't really think about that stuff so much. Um, sure. It's a bit more second nature, which is nice. So I notice as well you've got, or you certainly had, um, I'm not quite sure what setup you're sat on now, you've got one of those spirals and, you know, like an ozone. So you've got plenty of kind of effect options yeah. as well, like, you know, accents and dynamics and stuff. Yeah, so the um, they all present some interesting sounds. Um, the spiral is particularly interesting 
because it kind of oscillates so I find if you bow it and then move the cymbal stand you get this sort of wow wow kind of like strange phasing which sounds great cool um and yeah and it's got quite a unique sound it's very um I think because it's so springy it's it's very dynamic so you can you can start to play into it and it sort of swells without it being having too much attack um right although i i don't i haven't set that up for any of the gigs recently but maybe maybe i will this this sunday um, Where are you playing on sunday yeah so we had a show in aberdeen on sunday just gone and then we're playing in glasgow this sunday coming um and this sunday coming is is just trio so okay we're experimenting with some new songs and stuff so it's probably a good chance to experiment with some new sounds as well yeah cool so the the thing you say about getting to know a symbol i'm i'm completely with you there um like i remember when i bought a crash symbol like 20 years ago and i thought that's the one i want because partly because i've seen someone else play it and i know it's going to make this sound and literally from the first hit i could not get on with it but I, you know, I persevered. It's, yeah. So like, I really like my cymbals and, you know, and the drums and just any instrument to be something without sounding too pretentious, something you build a kind of rapport with, you know, you learn how it reacts and what it does in what situation. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think that's it. Um, I've definitely been through phases of, of having loads and loads and loads of cymbals and changing all the time. And, it, like you know, it's a bit like smoking or something. Uh, after you know, like one more is not enough, and ten, uh, ten thousand more is not enough. So, uh, so with symbols, I started to realize like the the quest the quest for the perfect symbol is 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 a, not really a proper quest because yeah, it's the holy symbol, grail syndrome, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and you know what makes a symbol great at one thing is what means it probably won't be so good at something else. So it's quite difficult yeah. to get a symbol, uh, especially as drummers. You know where I think almost more than any other instrument, we're used to fitting in in a variety of settings. You don't have that barrier mm. of of harmony, so fitting into different styles can be a little bit uh, easier. There can be a little maybe a few less barriers to being able to play between like some latin styles and some swing and some country and some rock or whatever yeah so and i think they all they all have quite different demands and my experience with symbols has been that what makes something i don't know very very washy and splashy and then open up really quickly so you can get lots of soft and lovely sounds out of it it's the same thing which is not going to give it such a massive definition that it's going to cut through a very loud guitar or something um, right for, for, exactly. you know, just, just a sort of obvious example so yeah i sort of have realized that yeah you try and find a symbol which which works within a certain set of parameters and hopefully that's mm. broad enough that it'll work for most of what you're doing and then it's yeah like you yeah. say, working with, with its idiosyncrasies of which they all have them and which is what makes like the variety of symbols great. Everyone's slightly different. Yeah. I think as well, the whole Holy Grail 
the quest for the holy grail of symbols it's kind of there as an excuse in a way to keep buying symbols and you know people who go on that quest they know there isn't a holy grail and that's kind of the point <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and um, i think yeah the quest for the ultimate sound is probably more more in the hands and the approach to playing the symbol sure then you know like tony williams ride symbol I I think it wouldn't really matter which ride symbol Tony Williams was playing. He'd get a pretty similar sound out of it. He yeah, had the technique and yeah. the phrasing and the approach and the kind of all-round genius to make the ride symbol sound how it sounded. It wasn't yeah. the fact that he happened to pick that one symbol that, that yeah, made yeah. any difference it's, at all. Precisely, yeah. I mean, I one of my things as a maker of symbols, I always say, you know, at the end of the day, and people might crucify me for this, but it's a bit of metal that makes a noise, you know, in a, in a good way. You know, it means it's open to, to be played and to be used. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So so when I get a lot of requests, <clears throat> people coming to me for, can you clone this? You know, I love old 50s Ks and great. That's all fine. Personally, I'm not interested in that, really. It's all about just producing something unique so that they can be a unique player using that yeah absolutely i think it's also if you're making something where someone's sort of specified all the parameters like that but which everyone every single of those 50s old k's would sound different anyway that's right it's probably quite happy it's probably quite difficult to produce something which the customer's delighted with because if they've got such a specific sound in their head but mm. maybe have not as much understanding as you as to how many variables there are or how difficult it is to obtain that sound with yeah. whatever blank you've got or whatever weight or size or then i'm i'm sure it's probably a lot more difficult to please the customer than if you create something and they try it and they say i like that mm. do you know what i mean yeah i do i do that's the kind of most satisfying one is when someone shows up at the workshop and says I just want something new that I can get to know. And if I hit it and it sounds kind of like there's potential, then great. So yeah, that's always very nice. Um, I was going to just move on. You talked earlier about your interpretations video series. Uh, and I wanted to just bring something up that I noticed. Obviously, you're using the drums a lot. Your phrasing is is very interesting. And you're using the hi-hat. There was one in particular I saw with a pianist. Uh, and voice and the pianist was kind of using the voice to go like cha 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 you know yeah yeah that, and, yeah and you were using the hi-hat a lot to kind of accent that and it just got me thinking whether that's i suppose in that case that's a constant uh, uh conscious choice to kind of emulate the same sound at that particular point or the same kind of palette and what I did notice was that you don't really use the symbols very much in that kind of setting, which is great because that would be overkill. Um, so I just wondered if you had any kind of thoughts on that and how you produce your phrasing. You've got a kind of Bill Bruford thing going on where there'll be this repeated uh, piano thing and you'll be doing something around and then a stop and then come in maybe with a different feel and it'll all come around with a fill. You know what I mean? So... I'm really interested in how that's all pieced together and if it is pieced together or if it just comes kind of naturally, if it evolves. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so I think um, it varies on the piece and and probably some of that is second nature, you know, some of that I haven't thought about. But within each of these pieces, 
I do put a lot of thought into them. So um, the the piece you're talking about was a, a transcription I did of the pianist uh, Tigran Hamasian, and he did a sort of beatbox solo whilst um, comping for himself on piano. And so with that one, because it was kind of beatboxy and I listened through it, I was just trying to hear how many sounds I could hear him doing and then work out how to play it on the kit. So I was just trying to reverse engineer that a bit and think how could I as closely as possible replicate the sounds he's making. And I sort of heard the sound of sort of two different snare drums at different points during the piece um, and a kind of a sort of hi-hat sound sometimes with more or less attack and I would change how I was hitting the hi-hat to to get that sound so you know like for a slightly thicker less yeah. defined sound sort yeah. of play on the edge of the hat with the shoulder of the stick but maybe not too loud so it wasn't too chunky and then mm. for the more defined um with the sort of like plosives on the note I would be playing on the on the tip of the stick a little further in or whatever sure. um so with that piece um I just sort of try to expand it out and th- and think how many sounds are there and then put a kit together that would get close to those sounds and then try and replicate it so um and one of the things I was really interested in was the, the language he was using there because it was very polyrhythmic and ostinato based. And up until now, the, all the drum interpretations I've released, like you said, have had some kind of play on ostinato um, and, you know, using that as a context to, to maybe play across it or change something within it. Um, within the, the Tigrim one, he plays a rhythm which is in... 4-4 four, four, and it's uh, sort of four dotted notes and then a minimum at the end so like one two three 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 four um, and then as the piece goes on he plays uh, increasing and decreasing subdivisions uh, crushed within that grouping so Within the groups of three, he'll then play four, and within the groups of four, he'll play five. So the whole thing sounds like it's speeding up, right. and then do the same. Um, he'll do the same. So he'll play five in the groups of three, and then six in the group of four. So you get this sense of contraction and expansion. But the piano, um, the pulse doesn't really move too much. So yeah, 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 yeah. So it, it was like it's fascinating, and I really, I think a lot of the time. If I hear something like that, I kind of want to try and understand it and get some of that language to use maybe in, in the music I'm playing. So it was a bit of an etude for me as well as anything else. And I guess with this series of things that I'm doing, I started out with another one, which was a, a Ligeti um, composition for harpsichord. And I wanted to work out how to play the, the left-hand part with the feet and the right-hand part with the hands and try and look at the drum set like it was a piano um, and right. and play the same thing. Um, each one of these things, once I start to unpack it a bit, I try and get an idea in my mind of what I'm trying to do with it, what the mission statement is, um, right. and do it. So the, the phrasing for, for the Tigran one comes from, from what he was kind of doing, um, but I guess a lot of my playing outside of that 
I try and use some more vocabulary because of the nature of the music. So part of it probably comes from what was there and part of it probably comes from my my approach to to music in general or you know the influences I've got from the music yeah. that I yeah. play. Talking of which, another thing I noticed in a, a lot of your videos is you're often wearing an Aphex Twin t-shirt. <laughs> uh, I'm a huge fan of Aphex Twin. Um, and I wonder how he, if you've any thoughts on him, because uh, personally, compositionally, I think the guy's a master, um, and how he kind of influences you and in the way you think. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, his music and that that whole kind of break core movement, I'm a huge fan of the Aphex Twin Venetian snares and square yeah. pusher and and people like that and uh, there's so much to say on that actually um, yeah yeah but but I think listening to music which has got so much detail in it you know every bar is different and with all the the great um, electronic composers I I think that a lot of thought goes into each bar and, and each change, some of which is very gradual and some of which um, is is very sudden. Yeah. And I think it's all kind of thought out. And there's so many points of reference in there from the um, the music that they've, they've borrowed things from to create this um, that every every song is a sort of composition but with the way that sampling and things seem to work now that it's also a a collection of of references some of which you can identify with and some of which you can't um mm. and i i went through a phase of being quite obsessed with the sort of reverse engineering thing when i was a bit younger and really listened to a lot of jojo mayer and zach danziger and then started going back and, and listening to a lot of the the music that they were kind of reverse engineering and things and okay cool so so from that point of view it was really interesting as well thinking how could i play some of this stuff on drums and i have transcribed like i transcribed um flim um oh yeah i really because it's obviously a beautiful bit of music and so i transcribed the drums yeah. on that and i've I transcribed a a couple of venetian snares tunes as well um I love that album that he did that's all in seven, which samples all the classical music. You know, it's got a lot of Elgar and stuff in it. Yeah. Venetian Snares. Which album's that? Oh, I can't pronounce it. Um, <laughs> but the, um, yeah, I, um, there's, there's, I think there's 11 tracks in it and every single one's in seven. Oh, okay. And one of which I've been thinking about doing in a drum interpretation of. It's, I don't, I'll probably pronounce this completely wrong, but, Masadik Galam, it's called, and it starts off as being this um, like quite hectic piece, and slowly the drums get more glitchy, so they become a pitch, and so the drums become very melodic, and then they get completely bit crushed by the end, and it sort of just descends into a bit of wall wall of sound. Um, cool, and it's an amazing piece of music. Yeah, um, I'll have to listen to that. So the Apex Twin thing. Actually, I wore the T-shirt on one of the videos, and I think it was a t the Tigran one. There's a, a Facebook page called uh, Percuss.io that do transcriptions, and they put it out with my transcription playing along with it, and um, it it got a lot of views. And 
lots of people commented on it so i thought okay well when i do the next one i'll just wear the apex twin t-shirt and so <laughs> now it's kind of just been a bit it's a bit of an end joke that i feel that i can't really <laughs> i've got i plan to do eight of these videos and yeah. and then maybe put them into an album of some sort and uh cool i feel like i can't really record any of them wearing the apex twin t-shirt now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll be watching but that's <laughs> that kind of comes back around to what we were saying maybe about social media like you kind of didn't set out with that as a goal i guess and and now that's become a thing it's it's kind of given you an audience however big or an extra slice of a slice of an audience if if you see what i mean so like without sitting down and going i'm gonna put a picture of my lunch up then a cat and then i'm gonna do a drum video you've kind of reached someone by doing by following your nose and kind of arriving at people who are interested in this for the reasons you're interested in it yeah i guess so um yeah the the internet's a funny old old world at the best of times isn't it so yeah, yeah you just have to look at the comments on on any youtube video to see that it's a forum for the world oh man i'd rather not many yeah exactly many people making whatever's happening about themselves as opposed to anything else but um yeah so you see the real negative sides of being connected with everyone but i've definitely seen some of the positive sides and um you know, people get in touch sometimes asking for the scores and things. And um, some of these, like some people have come to it just, I think something which was quite fortunate was that around about the time I started doing these, I started doing quite a lot of touring. So I've actually ended up sort of meeting some people who have seen those videos and then a couple of them have come to shows and things. So they've had quite a, you know, like a positive impact. Some people, like you say, who have some kind of shared interest have seen that and then seen that I'm playing and come check that music out and, and enjoyed it or whatever. So yeah. it's been great. But I think probably a bit like you and a bit like most musicians, there's a practical part to playing music, which I like, which is just making stuff. And so yeah. with the videos I just, and the, the recordings and the transcriptions, I just wanted to make something. And the thing was an album eventually of pieces of music which were not written for a drum kit and therefore I sort of I have to think a bit about how I would play that melody or that sound on a kit and devise a kit that would that would best suit it so that mm. by the end of it I've got a collection of pieces which um, I have been able to explore uh, through the the instrument which I have the most facility on if that makes sense yeah it does yeah so everything else is kind of a byproduct of that but i am super chuffed that you know people have enjoyed the videos and things and like you say there's definitely a few people who always message me and say they're looking forward to the next one or and that you know that's it's lovely that people actually want to want to hear them yeah that's cool um and just it's just got me thinking again and another slight tangent i mean we i i briefly mentioned bill bruford a while back and like the way he phrases reminded me of the way you phrase and he was famously and i believe this is true he was famously credited i think on the starless and bible black album he was credited on drums for deciding not to play the drums on a track because the <laughs> there was no place for the drums in that track and that was a creative decision so he received the credit I think that's quite cool. I think that's completely valid. Absolutely. Email. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I love uh, Bruford's playing. Um, I think when I was in my late teens, I got uh, discipline 
King Crimson, yeah. that that album. Um, yeah. And I was like, well, you know, I'd never really heard anything like that. So, you know, beat cycles and things moving or displacing and that um, that whole movement is, uh, yes, it's all, that kind of rhythmic language is so popular and ingrained in so much music. But those, it was those guys who really brought it to the forefront and put it in the music that, people could still engage with this stuff as well it's incredible yeah, right for sure and uh it it makes me think bringing it back to symbols because i realize we haven't talked much about symbols on the symbol podcast um <laughs> but I, I was just thinking earlier i remember being you know late teens early 20s going to a lot of rock and indie shows and obviously a drummer myself at that point and symbols have always been the thing that fascinated me and what i'd notice a lot in a lot of playing was you get rock drummers for example and there'd be like a four four thing going on and it would literally the playing would be crash two three four crash two three four crash two three four and i just not always there's obviously a place for that if you know if there is there is but i thought is that there's no kind of resolution in here do you know what i mean that that's it just seemed like a sloppy approach you know who am i to say ultimately but i thought there's got to be more to this the symbols aren't just the thing you smack to punctuate the beginning of every bar yeah yeah no definitely there's, but you know there's that's that is our phrase isn't it and if that's the only phrase yeah and, and weirdly if you're going for again this is purely my opinion but a lot of the time if you're going for minimalism if you just stay away from the the crash altogether and let the hi-hat speak it mm. tends to sound better and then when that when that crash does appear whenever it appears it says something you know sure like i think probably like almost every drummer in the world steve gadd's one of my favorite drummers and when he just plays kick snare and hats the the nuance on the hi-hat he's probably i don't know he's probably not trying to do a lot other than play play the music well but the the sort of beautiful tones and contrast he gets out when he's just playing eighth notes or quarter notes or whatever is incredible yeah and like that there's a lot more nuance in that than i ironically playing playing more than that <laughs> completely yeah it's you know the cliche less is more you know yeah um, but it, there's a i don't know if you're aware a drummer called charles hayward who played in this heat back in no uh, late 70s and early 80s very massively influential in a very kind of slow burn way uh they've just one of the members died several years ago but they've just reformed and touring i think they're coming to an end of doing it now but the drumming of charles hayward is just something else and really opened my eyes like i was saying about drummers doing crash two three four crash two three four he'll kind of go there when it's you didn't realize it needed to happen wow and it's clearly a thought thought through i don't want to speak for him but it's the right thing to do at that point but then what he might do is crash two three four crash two three four and then not crash and then crash and then not do the snare on the fourth bar you know that's a very simple reading of it but that kind of approach and to me it's it's just such a beautiful way of playing and it's powerful as well he's a very powerful player yeah i i, I mean i yeah i think you've hit the nail on the head when when thought is going into what's happening it, like to me, it always uh, always sounds better. That's not to say I think it needs to be intellectual, but I think sure. consi- consideration for the effect of whatever you're doing and maybe not being 
you know, to the wider music and maybe not being so caught up in what you are playing. Um, that's I think that's one of the things that I quite like about jazz and improvised music is that from the get-go, there's it just seems to be very much impressed upon the drums and things that it's all it's all about making the the band sound good and and responding to what's happening around you and I guess sometimes some of the things that I don't connect with in other styles of music like I love um I love a lot of metal music for example but yeah. I don't like it when watching something it just and I guess you could apply this to any style of music it just feels like four people are trying to play the hardest thing they can to sort of show off and ironically like when when you go and see a group or when i go and see a group where they are all playing incredible stuff i love it and that you know that does appeal to me but i think that the sum is more important and and if, if if it's not all contributing towards something and maybe the viewpoint isn't of the members isn't trying to contribute towards something it, it tends to be personally to detract from what yeah from from the sort of performance and so um yeah whenever listening to something and you think that either consciously or you know just within second nature people are have considered the consequences of of their actions on the wider fields that tenley always is is a better experience to the listener yeah yeah, for me personally, live music has to be very engaging. You know, I notice a lot of times at gigs, a, a drum beat will start up and, you know, a four on the floor perhaps. And literally by the second beat, there's heads nodding and people going, whoa, it's amazing. And, you know, they're soaking it up in their own way. Who who am I to, to poo-poo that? But for me, it's like, well, I haven't heard the third beat yet. You know, I... I, yeah. I don't know where this is going or what the kind of the overall vibe of the whole thing is and whether it's going to bring me in. Yeah, it's funny that I guess something like Four on the Floor or something, it's such a massive cultural reference. Yeah. That maybe like people can hear two beats and be like, okay, I can dance to this. But then, sure. you know, if if perhaps you're used to really listening and probably with your job as well, with making symbols, you, you probably really listen to things on a deep level when when you when you hit something once. Um, and I think mm. like something I've learned a lot from the musicians I've been working with is like at, you know really listening all the time. How much are you listening? And and then also with with this music that we've been playing um, a lot of the time, we've been playing to classical audiences where again the the culture is really listening and yeah. Uh, and yeah like you say so that's affected how I listen to music as well as how I, how I play it but um, yeah when you sometimes you just want everything to be really silent and you just want to sure. like let it totally wash over you and, and really try and engage in it um, but that's right, not yeah. the only way to like you say the only way to interact and in that some people just want something they can dance to and relate to and yeah and fair enough i suppose you know yeah absolutely fair enough yeah Yeah. um but i I guess when we were talking earlier about the the downside of uh social media and things it's quite hard if you go to a concert and there's people constantly on their phones videoing and then playing things back as you're trying to listen if you want to engage with music in that way I think, you know, there should be a place for people, like concerts and places for people to engage with music however they want. But yeah, uh, I I love it when you go to a concert and you can hear a pin drop 
nobody's sure. got a phone out. Yeah. Um, and it's just all about getting drawn into what's happening there. One of my favourite venues is the, the Bim House in Amsterdam and you know the, the audience are right next to the stage. It's a, it's a beautiful setting. The, the acoustic is brilliant and every time I go there bar one when someone did have a mobile phone out um, it's just it's such a massively engaging um, place to be to hear great musicians and yeah yeah as, as a performer is like you say you're playing to classical audiences and I see you post pictures of the the rooms you play in and they they just look beautiful um, is that not quite daunting as well I mean I suppose playing live in itself is daunting but You've got people watching you, and to be fair, you're known for for the way you play and for being quite sort of shocking <laughs> for people to follow. You know, so are you aware? Do you think that there are people there? Just they've got eyes on your sticks, uh, and you know, obviously the other musicians they're watching your piano player, and because it's very intricate, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, I guess one of the things about the music. Um, that we're playing is it's very very involved it requires a level of concentration i haven't had to have for it anything before um and so you kind of have to forget about a lot of that because it makes demands on you like for example if i was counting off a a 4-4 swing tune or something then it's maybe a lot easier to to get uh, very inward and start thinking about note by note what am I playing here? Well, what does this person think of that? But I think there's a there's a few things that I've I've learned over the years which have helped with that. Um, so one of them actually is just that with this music I have to really concentrate. Um, another is that I've realised that you can only let people take a positive experience who want to so the best thing I can do is just to try and um, just give everything I can to the music and those who are there with um, a mind which is willing to take some kind of positive experience from it can cool. um, I guess the other like a couple of other things like I've, I've been lucky enough to like grow in confidence a bit that's not to say I don't I think I'm great or anything I think I, I, I'm very comfortable with the fact that I'll always be a sort of a, a student of music and have things to work on and you know I've, I'm kind of like at peace with that process and enjoy that process of, of working on new stuff and trying to improve and just let whatever I play be a snapshot of where I'm at at a point in time um, yeah. but also um, the musicians I'm playing with are always super supportive and seem to enjoy it um, so I've had a lot of support from from Evelyn this year she's been really kind and supportive and that's been that's been huge and also at the start of this tour we did three nights at Ronnie Scott's um and on the first night in the front row were were Dan Weiss and Jeremy Stacey two of my favorite drummers um yeah. neither of whom I've met before mm -hmm. um and I think yeah, Tim Garland was there I think and a few other people and so it, like in some ways, it can't really get any worse than that than like playing <laughs> in in a smallish space with people who really know what they're doing right in front of you. Um, yeah, and like the, both Dan and Jeremy like were had some really positive things to say after the show, which made me feel really good, you know. Um, so when a few times when I've played stuff and people who I admire 
like seem to seem to like some of it that makes me feel good it makes me think like you know i'm not totally wasting my time <laughs> uh, and yeah. and so you know like when when people are nice enough to say nice things about your playing and things um you think well like yeah there's something in there and then may as well just get on with it so yeah. so that yeah that's it i mean and definitely it's it's kind of it can be it can be a bit daunting sometimes but actually i think you know and so lucky in the grand scheme of things the to be playing music that i love with musicians who i admire and sure going to play places that i just do my best to try and get over that because like the amount of bad things that are happening in the world and stuff how i'm feeling about about having to like hit the drums is is (laughs) so such a tiny worry yeah uh, yeah I understand. I think, I think that perspective is very important. Actually, I think yeah. that I've I've grown, I've learned that you know you, you need to not make life and you, and what you're doing just all about yourself. You can give it everything, but but not be totally self-absorbed. And true, um, I think that like that's something I try try to do. You know, yeah. it's quite difficult sometimes when you're quite obsessive to to not just think about that and and yourself, but um, do my best to to try and think about the bigger picture a little bit. Yeah, that's a great attitude, I think. Um, Yeah, like you say, though, it's some days easier than others, but uh, it's a good attitude to have. Yeah. Um, So could you tell me a little bit more about uh, Dame Evelyn Glennie, who you've mentioned a few times, and how that came about, and how you work together yourself and the trio? Yeah, so uh, the trio, which is Trio HLK, which comprises of myself, Ant Law on A string guitar and uh, Rich Harrell on piano. We recorded our debut album, I think, two years ago. Um, and when we were putting it together, we'd want to try and collaborate with a couple of people, and we'd sort of just kind of thought, who would be, who would we love to have on it? And we opted to work with um, incredible composer sax player Steve Lemon and. Um, and incredible musician and artist Evan Glenny and they both were up for doing it which was great so Evelyn played on three tracks on the record and when we were doing the recording she uh, she said you know it would be it would be interesting be interested to do this live and so well we you know we videoed the recording and everything so we sort of just then started to try and, and book a tour of the of the music with her and that that's worked really well so we, we've been touring yeah. for about a year and we're definitely going to be touring it for at least another two it just seems to keep going and we're, we're you know we're now thinking about um working together again perhaps with another album and stuff so it, it's, it's definitely kind of ongoing but so yeah we've been then playing the music live for just over a year together the first one was at bristol jazz festival right about this time last year yeah, I remember. Um, I couldn't make it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. It's funny, isn't it? Because uh, I was just remembering that interaction. That's probably the first time we we kind of spoke or or something. Probably, um, yeah. Short of the odd like on Instagram and. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So we've just been working together since then, and cool. Um, we we've been touring it, and we we just did Aberdeen last week. Then we're off to. Helsinki and Krakow next month and then we have a bunch of 
festivals again during the summer, so it's, it's cool. going really well. Um, and and you like working with her is such a you know a, a pleasure and a joy and a privilege that um, we like we have a few things like a, we have a double drum duet during the set, and um, I guess actually in the same piece later on I have like a kind of like extended solo and so like the first time doing that was both of those things was a little nerve-wracking um you know like I remember seeing her doing like a a, a duet with Horatio Hernandez on the rooftops in New York on that Touch the Sound um movie and you know she's played with everyone and done everything and she's incredible so that was a bit nerve-wracking but she's super supportive and Right, you know, like seems to seems to like what I'm doing, which is cool, and uh, it's been really nice hanging out with her. When you spend a lot of time with someone in in the, all these different places with different constraints and pressures and things don't go right, you you, mm. you know you start to see if somebody's like actually really really cool, or you know when you're under pressure and things, and she's just like such a, a role model in terms of being very like down to earth and super easy to work with um and like you know just being like a total pro being able to yeah to play everything and plays everything so beautifully so great yeah cool um so i think it's been really really cool to talk to you it's been really interesting um again i realize we've not talked that much about symbols but uh so i don't know if i'm allowed to ask this what do you think of the new sabian logo which is currently causing, causing a storm on the uh, symbol forums. <laughs> well, do you know, um, I think uh, I, I always like go with symbols with my ears. And so sure. to me, I don't really care what, what the writing looks like. Um, I care what dodged. they sound like. Nicely dodged. <laughs> so, I mean, like, yeah, I think f- fonts and things are kind of irrelevant. But yeah. um, I think... I'm sure they knew that when they put it out that some people were going to love it and some people were going to hate it. And I suspect that's probably why they put it out. Everybody's talking about it. Exactly. That's um, the one thing. As soon as there's a new post on it, they're all at the top, the top post of every forum, you know, every now and again, as it refreshes (laughs) is what do you think of Sabian's new logo? And there it is. There's a picture, there's the word, everyone's talking about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I see it all the time. Uh, I've been asked about it a few times actually. And do you know, I can't really... I can't really make my mind up because I looked at the old logo and I think, you know, like, I, I can't, I can't see the woods for the trees. Like, I, know. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was. If you'd asked me about the old logo, I wouldn't have had any specific thoughts on it either. So, I mean, yeah. I don't really mind too much. That's but I think, um, yeah. I think they sound really good, and that's that's good enough for for me. Good um, yeah, when, cool. And also. All the symbols I have don't even have the logo. You got logo visible, like all the artisans and stuff. They're they're not on on the top of the symbol. They just have artisans. So yeah. I never even see the logos when I'm playing. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, funny you say about the old logo because I did look back at the old one, having seen all the hype about the new one. And I I must say the old one looks kind of old now. I think I don't know whether that was kind of built into their thinking, but it, it does look like it's the old logo, if you see what I mean. Like it's almost dated because they've made it dated. Yeah, I guess, you know, like it's got quite chunky, quite chunky writing. Like it's strange how fonts now date because I think yeah. 30 years ago, 
fonts don't date, but it's it's all built into technology, isn't it? And that that's one of the reasons I don't have a strong opinion on it is I I'm kind of aware that like that all this stuff will will might seem dated or might not in thirty years. So for example, when you listen to an eighties gated snare drum, it just sounds like quite cheesy perhaps and and dated. And I think like well, a lot of the stuff that's happening now, like um, I don't know, like big fat snare drums and like loads of shells and and jingles on things. Like maybe yeah. that will sound dated in twenty years. It's likely it of will, of course. Um, and so with all that kind of stuff, I think with when it comes to design, when it comes to to artwork, when it comes to music. I think it's quite important to zoom out and think like actually there's something to be said for something being classic even if it's not of the time Um, and unfortunately that's probably harder and harder to do because the world's moving so fast and everything's trying to get something which is new which will get views or likes or whatever but like if you look at most of the great drummers their sound hasn't changed that much in the last like when you look at Vinny or or Gad or Weckl or any of these guys, um, you know, because I, I don't really want to miss anyone out, so I'll just leave it with like potentially the three drummers that who are, are as well known as anyone is and who are completely world class. Uh, but yeah. the, like their kit setups and their sounds haven't changed, even though maybe on some records they've had to had to change how they sound. Like they always sound how they sound and. And I think like that's one of the reasons that people from many generations can also interact with it. Right. So, yeah. like, part of me thinks, as a purist, when it comes to fonts and when it comes to to all that stuff, you shouldn't actually play the game. But the difficulty is you've mm. got to try and reach people sometimes. Well, but, it's um, a business now. Yeah. Exactly. Because you don't. Do you have a, a logo on your symbols at the moment? Uh, not, not yet. Although I have just uh, designed one. And I will start adding it. I'm just not sure how or where. Like I have the same problem. And it one one thing I was thinking while you were talking just then uh, was about kind of fashion in symbols. And uh, early on, maybe a couple of years ago in my career as a symbol maker, the amount of emails I'd get almost daily saying, you know, with the the catchphrases, I'd like a trashy stack, or can you make me an ozone? And you had lots of these kind of small symbol companies coming through and everything kind of looks great in inverted commas in that there's bells and whistles and jingles, like you said. And that was, I, at the time I thought, I just don't want to play this game. You know, there's a space for effects and, and things, but never for gimmicks, in my opinion. Yeah. So I kind of thought at the time, this isn't going to last. This is not something, I'm not doing this for a short, quick buck although bucks are great, but, yeah. but, I, but you know, for in the long term, I don't just want to make a load of ozones and then become obsolete, you know. I'm not interested yeah. in things looking good. They'll look... My thing, another of my catchphrases, if I can put it that way, if something's made well, it will look good regardless, you know. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think it sounds like you've got an awareness that anything you put out there is potentially out there forever in the same way that a, a record is or anything else. And, you know, it might change hands a few times. And yeah. and so whatever you put out is, especially it's got your name on it as well. It must be, it's a strong reflection of you. So yeah, 
you don't maybe want to compromise on that. But and like, but like you say, um, you're not in it to make bucks, but you need a certain amount of bucks to be in it, don't you? So that's right. That's right. Because I, I was thinking one of the strong things about your symbols is that they don't have a, a logo on them. Yeah. Um, that's where you know, that's where I, I get am. The, yeah. they they speak for themselves, but there's there's the game that everyone has to play of of branding and be, people being able to connect the dots with as exactly. few steps as possible. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so, actually, I think it's it's I think it's probably okay as long as you're able to unpack that to to people and, and be real to to try and have a bit of a brand or whatever you know i'm i'm, I'm aware i do certain mm. things myself like including wearing an apex print t-shirt all the time which makes <laughs> things identifiable but um but as long as maybe i like my own point of view is you, you impress the people that the, that isn't the important stuff and actually you try and try and not not look with your eyes and mm. uh and listen with your ears or whatever when you when you go and right. see music or buy a symbol or whatever yeah so so again from the symbol point of view i uh there was the whole big and ugly range that came out from sabian and that divided people very much um i can't i can't honestly say i played one um but they kind of they looked all right to me you know they were something different that maybe had a bit more of a narrow audience perhaps trying to get into a big audience because they're such a big company yeah well that's it's funny that the dry symbols thing um i don't want to say i'm not trying to say i'm ahead of the curve or anything but i think with uh with a sort of jazz approach dry symbols have been there for a long time and yeah. i think i i don't want to say the wrong person but it was someone like bob moses or someone who used to put a lot of tape on their symbols to get a really dry sound because they said they could get that anywhere in the world when touring, when using backlighting, they could cover it in tape and play like really, really dry cymbals. Right. And they would sound good. But, you know, I guess like, the, you know, dry cymbals and, and those kind of musical settings have been around for a long time. Yeah. Um, and so I've always quite quite been into dry cymbals, although if they're too dry, maybe they don't work. But my point is that actually when I went to pick out ride cymbals, the two of the three ones that i use the most are big and uglies i've got a 22 inch pandora which is the ride that i use all the time if i'm playing um any kind of like jazz influence music and i have a 24 inch um king ride as well um and and like i i totally love them and i, I don't know if if a lot of the chat was about how they look or whatever but again I I never think about how a symbol looks when I yeah. when I play it uh, when I when I'm trying to pick a symbol it just doesn't enter my head really maybe if there was something like really offensive written on it or something but <laughs> yeah. um, like and I, I guess again as marketing like maybe Sabian said like you know some people are gonna love this some people are gonna hate this let's call it big and ugly and say like it and love it it's maybe it's a brand ethos because they've, they've done the same mm. thing with a new logo but um yeah uh yeah i love to send those symbols but as cool. i was saying before like those symbols are, are not gonna do a lot of stuff like if you ever try playing a really dry ride symbol on a rock record or something like you, you can't really hear it it just doesn't doesn't work yeah yeah but um, but they sound great in in lively spaces or uh, when playing acoustic music. Sure. Um, but yeah. So I, do you ever get any feedback like that about your symbols about how they? Um, kind of. They yeah. Look or anything? It's I I get the feedback more in how 
how much I'm able to pay my rent at the end of the month, uh, depending, <laughs> depending on what kind of symbols I've been making. So I, I'm, and I'm always buying new, like different blanks. I'm trying different weights and sizes and seeing what, partly to learn how to make those kinds of symbols. And then it's interesting seeing how they're, how they're taken. Um, so I recently did a bunch of heavier 20, 22s, I think, and they were okay, but and you know they all sold and people really enjoyed them but didn't get quite as much clamor and shout as doing a thinner maybe drier kind of dynamic symbol which are the ones i really like to make so you know always trying to kind of find where you can do both you know yeah if that makes yeah sense. no for sure that, that makes perfect sense yeah yeah um I think so I... yeah I, d- I went off there i don't know if that answered your question but that that's my input um, no no yeah that was cool Cool. So I guess, yeah, we're, we're kind of through. I, I think that's been really, really interesting. Um, thanks so much for talking to me. And I will add a few notes in the links to the podcast episode. Uh, there'll, there'll be some notes down there so you can check out Rich's stuff. Um, Rich Cass, thank you very much for talking to me. Uh, not at all. Thanks very much for having me. And uh, yeah, keep up the amazing work with the symbols and stuff. Like I said, it's like, it's, it's great to see. Um yeah, it's great to see you making all these like brilliant instruments and putting them out into the world, and they're cool. coming out of, coming out of Bristol. It's Bristol you're based in, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's wicked. So, yeah, cool. Well, That's again, good. thanks so much, and yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Great, thank you. Cheers, man. Bye. Cheers.